Welcome back, my friends, as we continue on in this series, what it means to be a Christian straight out of the book of Ephesians, verse by verse. Uh, It's so good to be back with you again to get into the Word of God. Last time we talked about so many things. We went through the first 14 verses of Ephesians, and I figured, and it just seems to me that no matter how methodical we try to look at things, we go too quickly. There's such depth and such riches in the Word of God. And yet, by the grace of God, we we can look into these things and, and get understanding. And let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this time again with those that will listen and we can have fellowship together. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and dwelling in the wonderful Holy Spirit. I pray that you would open our eyes, open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, that we can understand these things, that we can rejoice in the fact that we are in Jesus Christ. There is no other higher calling. There is no other higher position. We've been given such riches and such fullness. And Father, thank you again for your word, which you freely give us. And put it within our hearts, Father, to realize that the way we treat your word is the way we treat the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we come to with reverence and expectation to hear from you. Father, I thank you again for the precious gift of your Holy Spirit and for your indescribable gift, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his name. We pray. Amen. Well, friends, we last time we went through uh, the riches, some of the things that we're blessed in. If you remember, go back to uh, chapter, or excuse me, verse 3, chapter 1. Remember, God said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I want to start there again and just kind of go over before we get into verse 15 and on. I just have a few things that we went over last time, but just to refresh your memory and and to think about these things. Let me just lift lift off, or I should say list off, some of these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. We've been chosen in him. We've been predestined. In Him, We've been adopted in Him. We have been accepted in Him. We have redemption in His blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have an inheritance that Peter says will not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. And if that weren't enough, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. This is absolute assurance. That we have in Him, you know. I've, if if you can allow me a little bit to to speak uh, about these things, you know, when you look at the Christian life, we've talked about the fact that the Christian life is Jesus Christ. We are a Christian not because of a label or a creed, not because of the church we attend to, not because of we choose to be in one camp or the other. But we are strictly Christians because we are in Jesus Christ. You know, I. Um, this is so important, brethren, that we would understand that to be a Christian is what Jesus says in John five twenty four. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Born again. You know... I believe that is such a misunderstanding today. Uh, people don't understand 
that why God reveals himself to us as a triune God, the Trinity, the Godhead. You know, you have so many cults today that uh, deny the Trinity, that, that say that, that you know, it's not taught in the Word of God. You know that the Trinity is how God chooses to reveal himself to us. The Trinity is involved, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all involved in our redemption. And just since we've been in these 14 verses, uh, do you know that the Word even now speaks so eloquently of the riches that these three members of the Godhead, remember, the three members of the Godhead are the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen to these. The Father, He chose us. And we see that in verses 3 through 6, when the first chapter. The Son of God, He redeemed us. We see that in verses 7 through 12. And the Spirit of God, He sealed us. We see that in verses 13 and 14. So the Father loved us. So the Father sent the Son to save us, to redeem us back to himself. And then he fills us with the Spirit. He sends the Spirit that that the, the life of the risen Christ might not only live in us, but that the Spirit himself would seal us under the day of redemption. That is security. And when we come to Christ, we become Christians. We become saved. It is an all-occlusive salvation. There's no probation. There's no time limit. There's no testing. Jesus Christ, when he was hanging on the cross, he said, it is finished. All that was involved in the reconciliation of man was finished in God incarnate and Jesus Christ dying for the sins of the world, being buried, and three days later rising from the dead as proof not only that our sins are gone to those that place their trust in him, but that God accepted him as a propitiation, a satisfying sacrifice for you and for I. That is wonderful. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to talk a little bit, too. Um, I've had some questions about, what is this predestination? What is, what is God chose us in him before the foundation of the world? Verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. All believers in Jesus Christ are the chosen, the elect. Jesus Christ died for the sin of the world. His invitation is open, whosoever may come. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should have everlasting life. God chose us in him. God's foreknowledge knows the end from the beginning. He knows those that will believe the message of his son and will receive him as their savior and and fall at the mercy of Christ for salvation. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, brethren. God knew you eons ago. And that by this having predestined us, he marked out beforehand the course that he in lovingness would have us follow. He predestined us as adoption of sons. We see in Romans chapter 8 that he predestined us. And those he predestined, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. He marked out this wonderful life of, of security, of forgiveness of sins, of the inheritance that he has, and of the life that we should walk before him without blame 
in holiness and in love. He predestined, marked out that for us because he loved you. You know, we've all had gifts that have been given to us by a family member, what have you. And, and you find out later that these gifts took a lot of thought, took a lot of time. Well, Lord, the Lord did something to us that makes that a very, very uh, weak comparison. He predestined us. He marked out the life and the security and all the riches we have in Christ. He predestined those that would believe on him. He has predestined us as adoption as his sons. You know, you remember the, the prodigal the prodigal son. Remember, there were two sons. There was the older son that, that stayed. There was the younger one that wanted his inheritance now. So he got his money and whatever, and he left. And he, and he as he left, he spent all his money on riotous living. And, and he, you know, had a great time at first. But then all of a sudden, you know, he was away from the father. He was away from his, from his inheritance. He was away from his home. And he began to be broke, to go hungry. And finally he came to himself. And he said, you know, my father's house, I had plenty of bread. I had everything I needed. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell my father, I'm sorry I sinned against you in heaven and I'm not worthy to be called your son. And he runs back, and, and as before he gets to the house, his father sees him and goes out and embraces him and kissed him, and he clothes him with the robe and puts a ring on his finger and he kills the fatty calf. But yet, the older son got indignant and said, Father, I have been with you this whole time, and you have never given me a fatted calf. You've never given me a signet ring and so forth. But his father responds that because all I have is yours. We are safe within within the the Father's house. We are safe because we are His. He chose us in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world that we should hear the gospel and believe in Him. And those that believe in Him are saved. They've passed from spiritual death, from separation, which is what spiritual death is, from God. Now they are saved. They've gone from death into life. God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us as sons. Your heritage is absolutely magnificent. This word, predestination, is a marvelous word. It is a wonderful word. Because he has marked out beforehand everything that involves our life in Jesus Christ. You know, there's a, a very destructive teaching, and I will go on record as saying this, and I have in years past, and I will continue. It's called Calvinism. It takes the freedom of will away from man and makes God a respecter of persons. And actually, it makes God a monster because it, it says, in effect, that God predestines some to hell and he predestines some to heaven before anything was was ever accomplished. But as we'll see as we go on today, we will see that those that have heard the gospel in verse 13, they've trusted in their salvation. They've believed. So they hear the gospel. They, they've trusted the message. They've heard the gospel. They believe 
that Jesus Christ is the remedy for their sin, is the remedy for their lost condition, that Christ was on the cross dealing with my, my sin and my separation from God. And the Bible says in verse 13 that those who believe that message are saved. They've passed from death into life, and the, the Holy Spirit comes and seals. It's their guarantee, verse 14, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, which is us, it's to the praise of his glory. You know what the redemption means? Paul says in, in Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 23, that we're waiting the redemption of our body. And that is when, whether we die or the Lord comes back, we will be changed. We have that guarantee. But I want to talk a little bit, real quick, before we go on, uh, brethren. Look at verse 14 really close. Talking about the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 says, You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. In other words, until we actually are in heaven, He's the guarantee of, of our inheritance. Because of verse 11, it says, In Him, in Jesus Christ, we predestined in Christ, we have an inheritance. An inheritance. And we'll get into that in a little bit. So back in verse 14, who is the guarantee? That is absolute assurance. Absolute assurance. I love that. God wants us to know that we are safe in Him. And we'll go over a few passages of those, but the, the one chiefly that I love. Remember, he says that, who is the guarantee, verse 14, of our inheritance. It's a guarantee. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul writes to the Philippians, he said, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. The good work is a salvation that we read about in verse 13. We heard the word of the gospel. We believed. We trusted. Now we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of, of promise until the day of redemption, of the purchased possession, which is you and I. And that's why Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. He loves you. He wants you to know, and that is what the Spirit also does. Not only shows us Christ, that we have the life of the risen Christ being lived out in us, and always points us to Christ. And, and remember how Jesus said, the Spirit will also bring to your remembrance everything that I have said to you. The Spirit. Wow. The Holy Spirit of promise. We are so blessed to have that precious gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why we have warnings not to grieve Him, not to quench Him. Grieving Him means doing something that that would, would grieve Him. Doing something and, and acting in a way that's not in accordance with your exalted position, that's not in accordance with the good works that we've been saved unto. Not being saved by good works. We are saved unto good works. You know, this knowing, this assurance, listen to what John says in 1 John. He says, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he says, these things, talking about everything that, that, that John has brought in, about the love of God, our sonship, and everything. 
He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, years ago, um, there was a, a, a great Bible expositor named Donald Gray Barnhouse who uh, went around, and as he taught, he was a great Bible teacher. And as he went around the country teaching these truths, he would often ask his audience and say, I want to give you a test. And if and see if you know, I'm going to replace a word, replace an important word, and I want to see if you know what it is. And he would recite First John 5.13. He would say, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may hope that you have eternal life. He was astonished, brethren, at the most of the people that, that did not recognize the error. No, it's these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, not hope, but that you may know that you have eternal life. The Holy Spirit of promise is the guarantee, brethren, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession through the praise of His glory. Now we're still in chapter 1. Remember our dividing, our easily dividing of this letter, chapters 1 through 3, the glorious position we have in Christ, and 4 through 6, the walk in that glorious position. Remember that division will do well. Let's let's read from uh, verses four or excuse me fifteen on Ephesians chapter one verse fifteen. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Verse seventeen that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. You know, we have the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes and gives us understanding of of things, the deep things of God. You know, uh, the Bible says that the natural man or the man outside of Christ, the spiritually dead man, does not understand the things of God, because they're spiritually discerned. But we, with the Spirit of God, can get and look in the Word of God and see the riches that we have and see God, this is God speaking to us. I want to make mention, too, we through the years have emphasized the fact that uh, we need to understand with the very fabric of our being that the Bible is the Word of God. You know, it's so easy for a lot of people to, to use that acronym and say, yeah, it's the Word of God, it's, you know. But to believe in your heart that the, this is God's revelation to man. So every time we come to the Word of God, we come expectantly to hear from Him. And brethren, He will speak through His Word. He is more than um, willing and desirous to speak to us Jesus said, so many things I have to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And yet now we have the Spirit, and he talks about, after he made that statement, the coming of the Spirit, we have the Scriptures. We don't have anything to lose. 
by saturating ourselves in the Word of God, we have everything to gain. Fellowship with God, understanding of God, God's character can only be known through His Word. God's precious promises can only be known through His Word. Do you want to know how God views you? Do you want to know what your inheritance is? Do you want to know how God walks and talks with you desirously every day? It's in His Word. It's not through these false prophets that are abounding today. It's not through these teachers that promise you health and wealth. It's not through, through these, you know, these people, these false teachers that that devise books like Jesus Calling and so forth that say, I heard a, a, a word from God today and Jesus spoke to me, and yet when you read what they wrote, it doesn't align up with the word of God. Friends, reject it. Every single thing that doesn't align with the word of God, reject. God has not revealed this apart from his word. Someday we will take another series and dissect Psalm 119 because in that psalm alone is we see the love of God and His Word. We see the fact that God elevates His Word even above His name. We see the fact that the soul is not only revived, but constantly kept afresh and alive by the Word of God. So it's no wonder that Paul, in verses 17 and 18, utters this prayer Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Look at verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You know, if we look, if you, you know, the, one of the importance of the Proverbs every day is that they impart wisdom, godly wisdom for everyday living. You know, I've made a practice of reading through the Proverbs every day. Uh, there are 31 Proverbs. Uh, there are 30, 31 days in the month. You have a special double blessing if there's only 30, because then you get to read two Proverbs. Proverb every day um, will keep a lot of this nonsense away. Listen to what the, the Solomon accumulates in the second proverb. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry up for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Listen to this, brethren. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. That's the second proverb the first six verses. God is so willing to impart wisdom in the word. No wonder Paul says that he prays that in verse 18 that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. And real briefly here, brethren, let me, let me speak to you about the word hope. 
The word hope evolving a Christian and his position and his ultimate destiny is not, oh, I hope and I hope and I hope I get it. No, the word hope for the Christian biblically is that confident expectation that God will do what he said. It's a confidence that we have. We hope in the confidence in the word of God because we have that confident expectation that what God says he is going to perform. If God says he has an inheritance for you, reserved in heaven for you, as the Apostle Peter says, we have hope that that is the truth. And it's confident expectation. So read that verse 18 again, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Wouldn't that be ridiculous if it says that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may hope what is the hope of his calling? No, brethren, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What? Yes, that's right. We have, (laughs) wow, in verse 11, it says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. In verse 18, it says, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. My friends, he loves you. You are his inheritance. The church, the body of Christ is his inheritance. You know, I love the story about when Jesus said, if he has a hundred sheep and and the 99 are there, but, but one has gone astray, what does he do? He leaves the 99 in, in care, and he goes and he gets and he finds the other one. My friend, Jesus loses none of his sheep. It's his inheritance. It is the hope of the calling that, that he has called us. Jeff Graham is a wandering sheep, but he, even if we were all there and and Jeff Graham was wandering, he would keep the 99 there and he would go and find Jeff Graham and bring it back to the fold. That's the shepherd that we have. It's his inheritance in the saints. Can't you start to see that our calling and our riches in Jesus Christ is so much more than meets the eye? God wants us to know what we have in Christ. He wants us to know the riches. He wants us to know our position. And it's all because he loves us. And he's redeemed us by the precious blood of his son. And he has sealed us with the promise of the Holy Spirit so that we might not only know the things freely given to us by God, but we also are assured that our God is our God and Father throughout not only this life, but eternity. You know, no wonder Paul goes into verse 19 and says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him his right hand in the heavenly places. Now I want to spend just a little bit of time on that. Like I said, brethren, we are not under time constraints by any means. We have a power 
that is working within us, the power of God through the Holy Spirit that is working in us, the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power. Look at verse 20. Which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. I get excited, brethren. I'm going to have to go a little bit before... And I want to just share something to you real quick, and we'll get there, and I can't wait to get there. Here's something that I hope gets you excited for chapter 2 like it did me. Remember, in our, our verse here, remember in verse 20 that we just read, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places? Take a peek real quick to chapter 2, verse 6. He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. Wow. How do I know that I will be in heaven? How do I know that I am saved? I am assured that I will be in heaven not only because of my position, but I am sure that I will be in heaven because my Lord Jesus Christ is in heaven right now. He's preparing a place for us, brethren. Our inheritance, he's preparing a place for us. Remember John 14? If I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I will come back. First First three verses of John 14 are priceless. Wow. So he says back in Ephesians 1.20, he says, When he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Power. You know, let me read real quick. I, I get so excited. I, you know, the best laid plans, the best notes that you that a teacher or one that expounds the word of God can have, and yet, you know, when he gets in and he's led by the Holy Spirit, he very rarely completes those laid plans. But I've had so many notes, and yet, brethren, I'm excited. Because how do we know? Look at, in in Romans chapter 1, I'll just read it for you. It says in verse 3, it says, Jesus was declared our Lord, he was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, listen to this, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. That's power. And do you know that same power God worked in you when you became born again? As Christ was raised from the dead by the power of the Father, so you are raised with him. We are transformed. We are changed. We are born again. We've gone from death to life. We were spiritually dead, separated from God. And now we are born again. We are not only not separated, we are his intimate children. We are adopted by him with an inheritance that that we've gotten from him. We now are his inheritance, the body of Christ. And the exceeding power and the greatness of his power towards us who believe is that same power which he used that when he raised Christ from the dead. You know, the Bible talks about that we were buried with him in baptism, that the baptism that, that, that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. Let me read something to you. In Colossians, Paul says, and this is Colossians 
He says, we were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. I believe that my Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. I believe that he died on the cross for me, and I receive him as my Savior. I believe the word that the Father has and the testimony has of his Son. Read First John. This is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life. He who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life, because they do not believe the testimony that God gave concerning his Son. I believe And I received Christ as my Savior. He was raised the third day, and he ascended to the Father. And Christ was raised from the dead by the exceeding glory, magnificent power. God raised him from the dead. That same power, my brethren, has changed us from death into life. That same power was used when we were raised with Christ too. The Bible says that if we've died with Christ, it is certain that we will live with him. Romans chapter 6 fully explains this. I love how God says in his word, there is no misunderstanding, there is no yeah buts. Listen to this. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism unto death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Listen to this. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly, this word certainly means beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is no other persuasion. This is the certainty of the truth. Verily, verily, certainty, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. That's in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. So let's read 19 and 20 again, brethren. We'll go on. What is exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Look at verse 21. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. If we've been raised with Christ, Christ was raised above all principality, all power, all anything that could be named in this age and this age to come. Brethren, is that not security? We are in the risen Christ who is above everything. There is nothing created. There's no principality or power, name or might that can even be named that comes close to the lordship and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in Him. In Him. Sometimes I I can only come up with, with futile words to explain the richness of our position in Jesus Christ. And if that weren't enough, he says in verse 21, not only was He far above all principality and power, might and dominion, In every name that is named, he says, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Not only in this age, but in eternity. Jesus Christ alone is sovereign. He is the Lord of glory. Paul says that, and James calls him the Lord of glory. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet 
and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So get that? As we end this first chapter, the Father has put all things under his feet. He gave him to be head over all things to the church. All things to the church, all things to the body of Christ, again, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Brethren, we are the body of Christ. We are his, vitally united with him. He is the the vine, we are the branches. He is the head, we are his body. He tenderly cares for us. He tenderly looks out for us. He tenderly keeps us, brethren. Remember this. Christ loses none of his sheep. And I learned that from my mentor, Dave Hunt. And it is biblically true. He loses none of his sheep. He said... Right before he ascended to the Father, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, listen this. And Jesus came and spoke to them all, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. All authority has been given to him. Your head, your master, has been given all authority. No wonder Jesus could say in John chapter 10, starting verse 27, listen to this. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Remember the beginning of our study? The Father chose us in him. The Son redeemed us back to the Father, and the Spirit of the living God sealed us, not only for the day of redemption, but He is a guarantee that of our inheritance. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Our God revealed in three persons. Absolutely magnificent. Oh, how God loves us. If we would understand... What the hope of our calling is. What are the riches of the glory in his inheritance? He is the one who who gathered all things in Christ. It is not up to us to keep our salvation. It is not up to us to to live in with in, in our own power and our own bootstraps. No, he's given us. Peter says in 2 Peter, all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. That the exceeding greatness of his power will be of uh, of him and not of us. We were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. I love the Lord Jesus for speaking to me these words of confidence and of assurance of his great love for us. You know, some people, 
Some people will, will live their Christian life, and it's sad to say this. And we pray that, that the, the truth of God's Word and the truth of His, of His security and of His love and His passion, people say, well, you're just preaching the, uh, the once saved, always saved. And, and no, we're not. We're preaching that once saved, brought from death into life, as we've seen what being truly born again is, does produce a life that will not only not want to sin, but will grieve when we do sin. A lot of people, brethren, live their life as reading the verse, you know, and we and we talked about in John chapter 10, remember those verses, and it says, I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. A lot of people read these verses and they live their life as I give them temporal life if they do good and if not they will go to perdition. They will they will perish. No, Jesus Christ is talking about his own. Those that have gone from death to life that received him as a savior that that have the holy spirit in them that hear his voice that come to him that follow him. He says, I'll tell you what. I give them eternal life and they shall not maybe perish, they shall never perish. This is what we have in Christ, our assurance. And the reason why I talk so much about assurance today, brethren, that I've seen in my years of ministry, that is the number one uh, misunderstanding among sincere Christians that want to know the truth, that want to be have assurance of salvation, that want to know that they can rest in God, but yet we have an adversary out there that does not want to teach these truths, that wants to instill fear and, and unnecessary guilt. Uh, we call it today's walking on eggshells, what have you, but we have an enemy out there that wants to steal the precious truths. What did Jesus say in John 10.10? 10? The enemy comes only to kill, still, and destroy. To kill, to steal, and destroy. And in the midst of that darkness, negative uh, adversary that we have, Jesus comes right back and said, But I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. We need to know our God and know his word. He is wonderful beyond imagination. Next time as we as we come together, we'll be in chapter 2. And wow, we will see the perfect sequence of works and grace. We're going to talk about the total, the seemingly discrepancy that a lot of people still have between what James wrote you know, about good works and what Paul wrote about being justified by faith. We see it laid out perfectly in this next chapter. We'll talk about that and put at ease that Jesus Christ is the one that is living his resurrected life through us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that God ordained the good works after we were saved. Remember, we were dead in sin, just like it starts out dead we were like a tree that is dead, no fruit, withered from the roots up. That was our life, separated from the life of God. No works of any kind could even begin to come out of us. 
Paul says, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And yet we'll see from life, the life we've been given, the vibrant life in Jesus Christ, then pops out the fruit of the works, the fruit of the life, the praise and the glory that we give up to the Master. There's so much in this second chapter. I can't wait to get into it with you, my friends. Ponder on these things. Meditate on these things. If there's anything loving, praiseworthy, full of good repute, virtuous, lovely, pure, think about these things. Until next time, I pray that the Lord will just give you understanding and open your eyes that you may be full of joy at what we have in Jesus Christ. So, brethren, I love you. Thank you for spending time. And until next time, God bless you.